who believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God. And in 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to start our talk. And I want to pick it up here in verse 10. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it says there, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's all I want to read there. So we want to set up uh, the theme for our talk here today, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Uh, whatever we do in life, we will eventually have to give an account to the Lord. doesn't matter who you are, what upbringing you've had, what nationality you are, whatever religious uh, persuasion, one day we will all be before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And we will have to give an account as to what we've done about Jesus Christ in our life. So that's our, our title of our talk here today, is we are accountable to Christ. Accountable to him. Because that is what will, uh, what will be asked of us when we have to give an answer for what we've done in our life. And it goes on there in verse 11 to say, Knowing this, knowing God's judgment, then we try and persuade all people, including the people that are here today. We try and persuade, encourage, help in any way we can to turn to Jesus Christ because that is what God will hold us accountable to. So we preach the gospel, for example. We reach out to people in this community to see that they too can be born again, even as we are. Now, I was born again in a little place called Rapid Bay in South Australia in 1981. And now, in 1981, um, I was a hard-working guy. Um, I'd uh, moved to Rapid Bay when I was 25 years of age. Rapid Bay is a very small country town just south of Adelaide, 100 kilometres south of Adelaide. A lot of things happened there, and I'm going to actually use an example of... Uh, a tragic thing that happened there later on in my talk. However, whilst I was there, um, I had a big question mark in my life, and that was, I don't understand why we are born with great joy, and that happened in my life in 1975. My daughter was born, and it was a, a wonderful thing, a happy time. Yet my father was died in that same year in quite tragic circumstances, and that was very sad, hopeless situation. And to me, life made no sense that we're born with this great joy and we go out with such sadness and uh, hopelessness. And so I, uh, I wondered, I questioned life, and in my heart was this question mark. And uh, it was at Rapid Bay uh, while I was working there that eventually I met a man through sport who told me about being born again, about... Uh, getting baptised by full immersion and receiving the Holy Spirit with the Bible evidence of speaking in tongues. This is what had happened to him. It had changed his life. I could see that. I admired the way this man lived because I thought it was a wonderful way to live. Uh, but uh, I didn't fully appreciate or understand what this born-again thing was all about until my second daughter came along and she, uh, I was going to get a christen in the Catholic Church and he challenged me and said, if Jesus Christ was 30 years of age as the Son of Almighty God and he walked 80 miles, that's nearly 150 kilometres, all the way from Galilee down to the River Jordan to be baptised by full immersion by John the Baptist, and he said, this is the way to follow the ways of God. I am setting the example. The righteous Son of God got baptised by full immersion to set the example for us to follow. And this man went on to say, if it was good enough for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, why isn't it good enough for you? That was the question I couldn't answer. I scrambled around, I asked questions of the Catholic 
system where I was raised. Uh, I got horrible theological answers that made no sense and I eventually went for a revival meeting. At a revival meeting I heard testimonies like Myrna today and Churn today. A man healed of being an alcoholic for 40 years of his life. Alcohol had destroyed his health, his life, all the relationships in his life that destroyed his marriage. And yet he was standing up here at this particular meeting that I went to, happy. He'd been healed six months previous to this by the Holy Spirit. He'd received the Holy Spirit, he'd spoken in tongues, and he'd been instantly healed of being addicted to alcohol. I was so impressed. His marriage had been restored, his health had been restored, all the relationships with his family had been restored, and he was a happy man. And the more I I actually asked him a lot of questions afterwards, I wanted to know whether this was really true, and it was true, it was genuine. And so that got me to my second meeting, and I was very convicted about what I'd seen and what I'd heard, heard, and I really wanted to be part of it. And that night they asked me whether I'd like to receive the Holy Spirit. I said yes, they prayed for me, and while they were praying, my tongue changed and I began to speak in tongues. On my way home that night, as I walk out of that meeting, the the stars in the sky seemed a lot closer for some reason, like you could touch them. And I knew something wonderful happened within me. And as I went home, I said, Lord, I really need to know that this is of you. And I opened my mouth and I spoke in tongues uh, very clearly, just me and the Lord and this wonderful experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. And as I spoke in tongues, there was a wonderful knowledge that Jesus Christ was real and he was alive and he was now living within me. I knew I'd been forgiven. That was a big thing for me. I was ashamed of of many things that I'd done in life. And now I knew I had a new beginning, a clean slate, and I'd been forgiven of my past. I couldn't wait to be baptised. Four days later I was baptised in Adelaide by full immersion. It was a great time. And uh, I know that was over 40 years ago, and uh, it's been an exciting life ever since. But that is what God will hold us accountable to. Have you been born again? Have you followed the example of my son through the waters of baptism? That is what we will have to give an account for with our life. Now, in Romans 14 it says, For as it is written, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. That's everyone. Everyone will bow the knee to the Lord. Every tongue shall confess. Philippians 2, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. When I looked at my calendar this morning, it said out of um, John chapter 3, the Father loveth the Son, and he has given all things into his hands. All things are in the hands of Jesus Christ. God loves his Son, his beloved Son. He shouted from the heavens, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased when Jesus was baptized. You know, it's, it's just a fantastic thing to hold your life accountable to the Lord. So we stand filled with the Holy Ghost. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost when we receive the Spirit of Christ and we now have to walk or live in a way that is acceptable to the Lord, pleasing to him according to the word of God, being led of the Spirit, all these terms uh, the what the Bible tells us to do. Now I've got a couple of slides here. I took these couple of pictures in a cemetery. Just very recently I was in Wyala. Uh, that's in South Australia. I spent quite a few years in Wyala. Um, and um, actually I was the pastor of the Wyala Revival Fellowship for 10 years. But, um, but, but these are a couple of uh, headstones uh, which uh, are quite dramatic I suppose but um, you learn a lot now I know you can't read the writing there but I actually I can and um, I've been trying to teach Pastor Steve how to speak Italian so I'm giving him a little lesson over Zoom at the moment uh, but this is a headstone and it's written in the Italian language I actually know the man that was buried in this grave um, he's a hard working man in Wyala and uh, he is Italian origin, and um, 
what the headstone says is, I don't want you to cry for me. Because if you knew of the beautiful place I am at now, you wouldn't cry any longer. And the language that is used here is very expressive. It's very powerful language. It's beautifully written. And I'll try and read a little bit of it for you. Um, I won't worry about the, the first, first part because it says, do not, do not cry for my departure because if you could uh, appreciate, see and hear what I am seeing and hearing, you wouldn't cry. But some of the description of what he's supposedly hearing and where he's at now, he says, um, Halfway down, se tu potessi vedere e sentire ciò che io vedo e sento in questi orizzonti senza fine. What he's saying, if you could only see and hear what I can see and hear in these horizons that have no end. E in quella luce che tutto investe e penetra non piangeresti. And in that beautiful light which penetrates all things, you would not be crying. Down the end, sono ormai assorbito all'incanto di Dio, della sua sconfinza bellezza. So he's saying, I'm now totally absorbed by the awesome uh, beauty of God, totally in his presence and beauty, amen. So that they're beautiful words, but they're not truth. The Bible says quite clearly when you die, that's it, you, your body goes to the ground, your soul awaits for the judgment, that we just read about, giving account to the Lord when the Lord calls us to his judgment seat. And of course, uh, the spirit of life returns to God. And that's why we expire, we die. And we die because of sin. And Jesus Christ paid the price of sin. That's why the Lord will hold us accountable to what have you done about the price I paid for your sin, the sacrifice I made on your behalf? Have you received the life that I am offering you, the power of the Holy Spirit that can save your soul? So this is a headstone, lovely words, but not truth. But we console ourselves with these things. But that's not being accountable to Jesus Christ. Here's another one. This is a grave which is obviously someone who's a Muslim and therefore the grave has to be orientated in a certain way, pointing to Mecca or whatever it is. And uh, again, some uh, interesting words. These are English words, you can read them for yourself. But it says there, In the name of God, merciful, the compassionate, praise be to God, the cherisher and sustainer of the wills. And it goes on about extolling the, the virtues of God. Uh, towards the bottom there it says, um, Master of the day of judgment. You do we worship, and your aid do we seek. Guide us to the straight path. And it goes on to make a very self-righteous statement at the end about, well, you know, I've tried to follow that path, and you've bestowed your grace on me, but I'm not like those who are condemned of you. So it's quite remarkable. So there's no mention here of Jesus Christ. This, by the way, comes straight out of the Quran. This is the the so-called holy book of the Muslim religion. So this is the, um, it says, the opening chapter of the Quran. Again, words extolling uh, God's uh, praises, uh, asking about some path that leads them to God. However, Jesus Christ is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is no other way to God. There is no self-righteousness way that you can make your way right with God. It has to be through Christ, through his sacrifice, through the infilling of his Holy Spirit. There's none righteous, no, not one. All right, so that, that that's what the Bible says. And I'm labouring the point, but I'm trying to get the message across. Unless you hold yourself accountable to Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus Christ said, you must be born again of water and the Spirit or you will not see or enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and he went on to describe how you are born again. He said, everyone that is born again of my Spirit, you'll hear the voice, the language of the Holy Spirit. He's referring to 
when we receive the Holy Spirit, we speak in the language of the Holy Spirit. We speak in tongues. Praise the Lord. You know, so, so we have to hold ourselves accountable to this. Um, ultimately, we've got to make that decision. He paid the price for the sin of all mankind. That's why everybody will bow the knee uh, to the Lord. You know, the sad thing is that uh, in our day and age, that um, there's a recent survey done about Jesus Christ in Australia, 49% uh, didn't even know if he really existed. Now, I don't know how accurate these uh, surveys are, but it's sad, isn't it? The Saviour, the one that we shall be accountable to on the Day of Judgment, and yet we don't even bother. You know, praise the Lord you're here. Praise the Lord you're willing to hear the words of life and praise the Lord that you can act upon them. If you haven't been baptised yet today, there's the tank ready for you to be baptised. You can receive the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues today. How good is that? You can walk out of here today being born again knowing your life is right with God. You are bought with a price, we read in 1 Corinthians 6. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to the Lord. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you belong to the Lord now. You are not your own. You've got to make sure that you're you're accountable to him. You're responsible to him. What you allow and what you do with your life now is accountable to the Holy Spirit. In uh, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, it says, You are bought with a price. Be not the servants of men. There's two masters in this world. The world can be your master or Jesus Christ can be your master. And the Bible says we're not accountable to the world anymore. We're accountable to Jesus Christ who shed his precious blood for us all. We are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or blemish. That's pure love. No greater love can any man have then he would lay down his life willingly for you and I. And that's what Jesus Christ did. There's nothing greater than making that ultimate sacrifice. You know, the, we gave a presentation last night in Ballarat about Anzac Day and we were particularly um, presenting a Bible prophecy that uh, was fulfilled in 1917 with, a, with the Australian Light Horse when they charged the town of Beersheba. That's... Uh, as I said, that was a presentation, but quite often on Anzac Day, uh, we, we remember the soldiers who gave their life for this country. Um, and, uh, if you go to the Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne, there on the tomb of the unknown soldier is no greater love. Straight out of the Bible. When a man gives his life in service for the well-being or the safety or the salvation of those that he loves, he, goes, he pays the ultimate price. He gives his life. No greater love. That's what Jesus Christ did. That's who we're accountable to. That's what we quote as to our soldiers who gave their life for your freedom today. No greater love. No greater love and we are accountable to that love. He made us his. We're accountable to him. And it encompasses everything. This fellowship... It's not us. It's Jesus Christ by his spirit has baptised us into his body, the body of Christ. That's what this fellowship is, his church. We preach his gospel. We obey his word. We minister his word. We give his testimony. We stand here and we testify what the Lord has done for us. You know, it's his Holy Spirit. It's his church. And so we hold ourselves accountable to that. We have to be fully persuaded in our heart and mind. You know, we can't be half-hearted. And that's where I want to touch on a little bit today. We can't cut corners. We can't compromise. We can't be half-hearted. We need to be fully persuaded and be fully accountable to the Lord. We can't get away with shortcuts. You can't take shortcuts. You can't compromise your life. It's too, too important. It's life or death. So we've got to get it right and make sure we are fully persuaded in our 
in our heart and mind how we should live, how we should conduct, conduct ourselves, what is acceptable to God and what is not acceptable to God. Uh, Luke chapter 16, if we can go there just quickly, I'm going to take you through a little, uh, well, it's quite a powerful parable in Luke 16. There's a parable here of someone who was not accountable. And the consequences of being not accountable are very dire. But I think we need to remind ourselves of the goodness, of course, of the Lord, but also of the severity of the Lord. And uh, here's a steward. It says there, um, and he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man, this is Jesus speaking, uh, which had a steward. And the man was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and he said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account. There it is. So the Lord is the Lord here. The steward is the servant, you and I. And uh, here we are being asked to give an account. What have we done with our master's goods? The thing that has been entrusted to us. If you like, you can say, the Lord is saying to us, what have you done with my Holy Spirit? What have you done with my word? What have you done about the sacrifice of my son? Give an account. Now we see here uh, that this particular servant had taken shortcuts. He had compromise. He hadn't put in the effort to be accountable to the Lord. It says, give an account of thy stewardship, for you may no longer be a steward. Verse 3, then the steward said within myself, what shall I do? For my Lord takes away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig and to beg I am ashamed. What that's saying is, I'm not prepared to make an effort. I'm not prepared to dig. You know, walking in the Lord, you've got to make an effort. You've got to have a desire. You've got to be diligent. And this guy wasn't prepared to do any of that. He also wasn't prepared to humble himself either. Oh, I'm not going to turn my life around. I'm not prepared to beg and so on. And then he goes on, the story unfolds there about he decides to cut corners and compromise. He asks uh, those that owed his master money, uh, how much do you owe? Oh, $100. Well, just pay 50 You'll be right. So he he's not being fully accountable in what God has committed to him. And um, and then we, we pick it up in verse 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. So this the Lord actually said, oh, well, pretty smart, compromising all over the place, cutting corners. That's worldly wisdom, right? But the consequences are dire. He went on to say, And I say unto you, Make to yourself, verse 9, friends of the mammon and the unrighteous, that when you fail they may receive you into their everlasting habitations. So it's very interesting that um, in, in the book of Matthew, where the Lord is dealing with an unjust steward, he says, cast the unprofitable or the unjust steward Right into outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the everlasting habitations of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, there are dire consequences. There is a judgment coming. And if you're not accountable and just to give an account to the Lord of everything that he has entrusted to you, these are the consequences. Oh, you might look smart, while you're cutting corners and compromising, but eventually you'll have to give an account and you don't want to be in this position. This is the way the world operates. Right? This is the, the world is self-serving. The world is interested in itself rather than standing up for the, what is right. You know, And that's the way the world is. And the Bible is saying, I don't want you to be servants of men, the servants of the world, but rather be accountable to God. And 
you know, in verse 10 it gives us a, a very simple, wonderful key to how to get it right. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also much. And he that is unjust in that which is least is unjust also in much. So, little things. Be faithful. Be true. Hold yourself accountable to the small things and that you'll be accountable to the big things as well. That's that's the, the wonderful way. Be faithful and true to what God has given you. Small things and big things. Just learn to be faithful to them. Um, but as they say in the movie, we've got a problem. Remember? Houston, we've got a problem. They're out there trying to land on the moon or whatever, but things have gone wrong. And that's our problem. We've got a problem because we are hardwired to be self-serving. We will compromise. We will cut corners. You know, that's just the way this world is. That's the way our natural heart and mind is. We justify ourselves. You know, the moment someone says to you, look, you need to fix this up, the first reaction is not one, oh, thank you very much, I'll fix it up straight away. The first reaction usually is self-justification. Right? That's what happens. Uh, you know, when the Lord asked Adam, what are you doing? Where, why are you hiding? Straight away there was justification, you know, hiding, trying to cover up, rather than coming forward and saying, well, you know, this is the truth. And, uh, and allowing the Lord to fix things up and to correct you. So that's our default system. We fall into this thing of self-serving, compromise, justifying ourselves. What's expedient? I mean, you've only got to look at the world of Pentecost. The world of Pentecost today is exactly that. It started off with the Holy Ghost experience, speaking in other tongues, baptising people by full immersion, and that was the way of salvation. But over the years, it has slowly but surely compromised its message. So much so that it's totally unrecognisable. Today you can go into a Pentecostal church and you can have your own lifestyle, you won't be told how to be born again, but you'll have... A, pretty jazzy sort of meeting, lots of music, lots of entertainment, you know. You can keep your lifestyle and feel like you're serving God. Well, you're not. We're kidding ourselves. We're compromising. And that's what happens. We do things which are expedient. We do things that are, are suitable to us and suitable to our lifestyle. And the Lord says, no, bury your way of life in the words of baptism. I'll give you a real life a life that's really worth living. It's got to hold yourself accountable to that. I'm going to give you now this very tragic example about compromise, which happened, as I said, in ninth, um, it happened in 1978 while I was working at Rapid Bay. I was a foreman, a maintenance supervisor. I had a small maintenance gang in this uh, open-cut mine quarry, limestone quarry. Uh, we had pretty old equipment that we had to maintain, but I had an excellent crew of tradesmen. They were excellent. And there was one particular tradesman, he was an electrician, he was brilliant. He could do anything. He, he was so clever with his hands and he had a really sharp mind and he knew his stuff and uh, you could trust him to do a job and do it well to troubleshoot, to fix problems, you know. Anyway, um, that's the story I'm going to tell you. Um, in 1978, you know, um, we we were um, having to get this machine moving, which was a, an old crane. It was in the quarry. It didn't do a lot of work, but we had to get it going. The batteries on it were flat. The engine needed some work. Uh, the fitters did their work on the engine, got it all working and so on. And this electrician, whose name was Rod, came to me and said, look, the batteries are very flat. However, I'll try and bring them up, charge them up. 
if they don't get up by the morning, I will get that machine going for you. No problem. Now, when someone like that, of his ability, tells you that, you sort of have a fair bit of confidence and trust it's going to be looked after. And I did. What happened the next day, the batteries didn't come up and um, they wanted to jump-start this vehicle. So you've got a, a crane with a counterweight at the back, the batteries are just above the counterweight, and you've got a truck pulled in behind the counterweight to get the power from the batteries of the truck onto the batteries on the crane to jump-start it. Just a moment. See these things here? These are called jumper leads. So they go on the terminals of a battery over here, the battery that's flat, and this end goes onto the terminals of the battery that is uh, got plenty of power, and then away you go and you start up. Now you've all, I'm sure, seen that sort of thing happen. Well, that's great. You can do that, it works. However, Rod decided that this battery needed a lot of extra power being big battery. So he decided to get a set of these that had really big cables on it to allow the extra power to get through to the battery. Bigger cables. The problem was that this extra big set of jumper leads were under his workbench with one of these on it. Can you bring up that? That's what's called an out-of-service tag. It was signed by him. Now, an out-of-service tag means under no circumstances do you use this piece of equipment because there's a fault with it. And the fault in this case was one of these was missing. Had three of them, didn't have the fourth one on there, so it was under his bench with one of these on it, waiting for that rainy day when the electrician's not flat out doing other things, he can just do those little jobs, tidying up things like that. So that's where the jumper leads were. He decided, because you know the thing needed to be jump-started, expediency, there was pressure on to get this machine going, he decided to get that set of jumper leads and he went down and he placed himself between the counterweight of the machine and the truck while he held that part of the lead that had no, no alligator clip. <coughs> alligator clip. Thanks, Kathy. <coughs> he held that part of the lead on the terminal of the truck. For some reason, we never found out why the machine moved as soon as they jump-started it, and he was crushed to death. So, that's what happened. It's tragic. The hardest thing, one of the hardest things that I've ever done in life is go home and tell his wife and three little children that their dad wasn't coming home anymore. He was 34 years old. He had three children. The youngest one, little Debbie, she was four. She had calipers on her legs. She couldn't walk properly. She had great big hearing aids in her ears. She had a, a hearing uh, disorder. No more dad. No more husband. You know? It's sad. The consequences are dire for compromise. He compromised safety. He knew, like everybody else, that you never, ever use anything that's got an out-of-service tag on it, ever. Now, I couldn't have cared less if we had to ship uh, another alligator clip from Timbuktu. It took a month to get here before we could jump-start the machine. That's it. That's the price you pay. You have to wait until the, everything is right to get the machine jump-started. I'm just using that as a silly example, I suppose. You know, an alligator clip is not hard to, to get and, and you can fit it in no time flat, I suppose, but I'm making the point. You know, don't ever compromise safety. 
that's what that tag's there for, to make sure nobody uses faulty equipment. <clears throat> he knew, he knew the safety rules, they were non-negotiable rules, but he didn't hold himself accountable to those rules and he paid an enormous price and so did many others as well. Just think of things like the fitter who pressed the button on the engine that started the engine and the machine moved suddenly. That's on his conscience, you know, and I know that. I know that young man very, very well. Yes, and, uh, you know, it was hard for him to come to grips with what happened and feeling in a way responsible. It wasn't his fault, but that's what happened. Maybe he should have said to Rod, don't stand there, get out of the way. But he was right in the way because he was trying to do what he thought was the expedient thing and he compromised safety. Now we're talking about the promise of eternal life. We're talking about the salvation of your soul. Don't compromise it. Go through the wars of baptism today. Receive the Holy Spirit today. Walk on in the Lord today. Because that's what the Lord will hold you accountable. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue is going to have to confess to God. And God is going to ask the question, what have you done about my beloved son? What have you done with the words that he gave you to be born again? We have uh, other uh, danger to our uh, safety tags. I'm just going to put up another one here. You got it there, Kiz? Um, this tag is also used, um, well, where I, when I used to be in, in, in the workforce, this is called the danger tag. The outer service tag protected equipment, faulty equipment from not being used. This one was the tag that you put and I would go inside the bowels of a crusher you know, that's used for crushing rocks because I had to fix something. I would put one of those with my name on it on the massive big isolation switch which made sure that crusher could not start while I was inside it. Okay? Because uh, it's meant for crushing rocks, not people. And and if anybody so much as touched my danger tag on the isolation switch, they would be instantly sacked. It was such a non-negotiable safety rule. Right? And that was for my protection, for my safety. So that's a danger tag. For us, we have non-negotiables in the Lord. You know? We, um, you know, you, you can't allow yourself to compromise your safety. You can't compromise your salvation. You have to stay safe. You have to stay secure. Um, you know, I just use this as an example. When, uh, as a pastor, when you have the uh, privilege, I guess, of uh, um, getting a young man and a young woman to come together because they want, they like each other. You know? And one day, perhaps, if they're suitable to one another, they will marry. Now, marriage is a, a wonderful thing as far as God is concerned. You know, today, anything goes, but not in God's eyes. God's eyes is man and woman live together in marriage. That's the way it is. In fact, I did uh, Churn and Kathy's wedding some years ago. And it's a great thing because we have two people in the Lord. And, uh, and of course, what the pastor does, he says to them, look, I want you to build up some compatibility. I want you to have time to talk, to communicate, to get to know each other so that you have a strong foundation to commit this marriage on. That's great. However, because there's a, a fair bit of attraction there, you know, you don't want these people getting into trouble and doing the wrong things. And so you want to keep them safe and secure. So the pastor will give very clear, strong guidelines how they can build up this compatibility, have great time of communicating with each other, but at the same time, same time gives them some wisdom how to stay safe, where to do it, to make sure 
you know, that they don't compromise their safety. And there's a whole host of things that he might suggest in the way they go about it. But if they do that, you, you stay safe, you stay secure, you don't let the flesh get tempted and get on top of you and you see yourself safely through to marriage and a marriage that's now built on some compatibility which have a, has a great uh, opportunity to really succeed and grow and blossom in the Lord. So it's about being diligent to get it right. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 14. It's about being faithful and true in little things and hold yourself accountable to the, to even small things. A simple direction about don't be alone together. Go to a cafe or somewhere like that. Build up your compatibility. Build up your, your understanding and appreciation of one another. They're the sort of directions that this young couple may be, may be receiving. Well, they'd be smart to heed to those directions. It'll keep them safe and secure. In Romans 14, uh, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So in one verse, we've been given quite clearly that it's about righteousness, getting it right. That's our accountability. In fact, Jesus used these words. He said, Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He shall be filled. Nothing else really matters but to be hungry and thirsty for that which is right according to the word of God in your life. Because that is what the Lord will hold you accountable to. So the kingdom of God here is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I've got a little uh, four-year-old grandson and um, we, my daughter who has three children, one of my daughters, and, um, and my wife and I, we lived together in the same house in Melbourne for 11 years or thereabouts. And uh, when Sammy came along four years ago, obviously he was part of the household and he grew up. And he used to sit near me at the dining table and um, at about six months old, I reckon, he found his hunger. He found out that he was hungry and he needed food. And uh, that kid would bring the roof down if he wasn't fed. And you had to feed him very, very fast because he was hungering and he was thirsting and he made sure you knew all about his desire for hunger, you know, for being fed. And so you had to feed him. Just a picture of you imagine a little six-month-old child really calling out and screaming for, I want food and I want it now. That's the sort of desire we should have for hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's the kingdom of God. I desire God above all things to get it right according to your word. I'm happy to be corrected. I'm happy to be reproved. I'm happy to be put on the right path again. I'm happy to come down and not be so proud or so smart or so uh, full of myself where I'm happy to take your direction. You know, we, we're so that's the difference between the way of the world and the way of the world. You know, righteousness means no shortcuts, no compromise, you know, no expediency, no self-serving. The pressure of this world will always be to conform to the ways of this world. But we're not interested in that. We just want to be reconciled to God. When the Lord was crucified on the cross of Calvary, he took away the very thing that works against us, and that is our flesh. The enmity of our flesh was crucified, right? And we received the Holy Spirit. So we've got to understand our ways, our thoughts, our desires, our lusts will always work against us. We've got to put them down and lift up the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a lot of stuff I've got here. Ben says I've got 10 minutes, so I'll just um, go through a few quick more points. 
I can. You know, we spend time seeking the Lord in the Spirit. It's a great thing to do. You can get on your knees and away you go. You're speaking in tongues, a river of living water flowing forth, praising the Lord. When you're speaking in tongues, you're magnifying the works of God. You're using a pure language to worship a God who is spirit. And that's the way he wants to be worshipped. And so we do. Uh, a few weeks ago I was on my knees and I'm praying away. And sometimes this happens, I suppose. I just heard someone yell out in the room, Oi! You're dozing off. Wake up. And that's that's what can happen. You can go through the motion sometimes, or you're a bit tired, or you've left it to the last minute of the day to pray. And uh, I'm married to someone who sort of picks up on things like that. And uh, <laughs> you get told to wake up, stir yourself up. And the Bible uses those terms. Stir yourself up in the Holy Ghost. Get the Spirit really moving in your life. That's what life's about, about being allowed to be moved by the Holy Ghost. You know, don't forget everything that God has done in Psalm 103. Forget not all his benefits. And that's why we have testimonies like Myrna out here reminding ourselves of 63 years of the benefits and the blessings of God and the many answered prayers. Forget not all his benefits. You know, he has healed all our diseases. He has saved our life from destruction. He has crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He has given us a life that is fulfilling and satisfying. Psalm 103, read it, sing it, pray about it, remind yourself of it. These are the good things. Stir up the gift of God that lies within us. I was going to go to First John, but we haven't got time to go there. So we'll go straight to Second Peter as our last scripture. First John is all about fellowship, about not forsaking the fellowship, how we come together with a strong commitment and desire to want to live in the light of God's word. And as we do that, and we all encourage one another to that end, we all hold ourselves accountable, and we all provoke one another to that love and good works and and we're just doing everything we can to help one another, to focus on the Lord, and to hold ourselves responsible to his word. The Bible says we dwell in the light of God's word, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The church is vital to prepare us. The church is vital to keep us (coughs) walking in the ways of the Lord. We can't afford to forsake the desire of coming together and holding ourselves accountable to the word of God. But I'm going to finish here in Second Peter and chapter 3. This is about the second coming of Jesus. The Lord is returning. Uh, verse 12. Looking for and hastening onto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So there is a a day coming where Jesus Christ will return. The Bible prophecies are lining up. The signs of the times are lining up. We are coming to that time. I'm just going to quote to you something out of this book which was written in 1947 after they bombed Hiroshima and Hiroshima with uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki with atomic bombs. There was a general, many people have heard of this general, Douglas MacArthur, I'm quoting what Douglas MacArthur said in 1946, a new era is upon us. The destructiveness of the war potential through progressive advances in scientific discovery has in fact now reached a point which revises the tradition concept of war. Men men, since the beginning of time have sought peace, military alliance, balance of power, league of nations, all in turn have failed. So all our efforts to find peace have failed, leaving only the path by the way of the crucible of war. So the only path we've ever had is come to war and conflict. And he's talking, um, you know, after the end of World War II. The utter destructiveness of war now blots out this alternative. If we keep going down the path of war now, knowing what we know with those atomic bombs that have just dropped and the advances of that sort of awesome power, 
We can't afford to go down this path any longer, is what he's saying. The utter destructiveness of war now blots out this alternative. We have had our last chance. If we do not devise some greater and more equitable system, Armageddon will be at the door. And there are other many quotes of uh, leading eminent men of the time with similar uh, prophetic uh, statements, really. So what what MacArthur is saying and what these other guys are saying is if we don't change, it's World War Three, and the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. And that's what the Bible says, not just the physical elements, but all the elements that make up our society, whether they be the religious elements, the political elements, the financial elements, and whatever other elements you want. It won't be a world like we know it here anymore. Jesus Christ is returning. This world will pass away. God will fold it up and he'll put it aside. There will be quite a destructive power unleashed upon this world. The Bible talks about Armageddon. And, but the, the wonderful thing that we must look forward to is the return of Jesus Christ. And we've got to be ready onto that day, hastening, looking for that day of the coming of God, the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Saviour, the one that paid the price of your sin and my sin. So nevertheless, we, according to this promise, Christ is returning. That's the promise. We look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, a new era, a new time, a millennium age for starters where Jesus Christ will rule and reign. There will be no more deceiving of the nations. There will be no conflict and war. They'll make their weapons of war into, you know, um, plowshares and so on. So the weapons of war will be taken out of the way. That's the new era that's about to dawn upon us. We've got to be ready for that time. So, you know, as uh, I think Pastor Darrell said, uh, there's a bit of a motto for 2022, and it is, be fruitful and true in 2022. If you're not yet baptised, make your life true and fruitful to Jesus Christ. Be faithful and true, sorry, not fruitful. Be faithful to him, faithful and true to him. He went through the waters of baptism. You go through the waters of baptism. He poured out the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit and you live forever. Amen.